Kia ora, how's everyone doing tonight? Good. A classic Labour weekend turnout, eh? All good. <laughs> um, it's my privilege to get to share with you guys tonight. My name's Michael. I'm one of the youth pastors here at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Um, yeah, it's a good time. We hang out on a Wednesday night. We have about 200 young people that come down here and create havoc in here. Um, it's a real good time. Um, people are coming to know Jesus. And, uh, and man, that really stirs me up and gets me excited. I was thinking about how I'm going to introduce this thing or, or what I'm going to talk about. Do I talk about myself? And something that was just really, I guess, I feel like um, Holy Spirit was putting on my heart today. And, um, and it really, I think, was affirmed to me just then in the way that Craig introduced um, Clinton Tracy. Is in Romans 12, it says, uh, continue to outdo one another with showing honor. And um, tonight, there's a guy here called Bruce right there, and he's got a white shirt on. And um, yeah, I don't know, he's sitting there next to Bailey, if you guys know who that is. But anyway, um, when I was first starting out as a youth pastor, Bruce let me come over to his house every Monday night for about probably two and a half years. Let me pick his brain, continue to encourage me and stir me up, and I wouldn't be uh, the, I guess, youth pastor or whatever I am, um, if it wasn't for Bruce investing in my life. So could you guys give him a round of applause? Thank you for the encouragement that you are to me, Bruce. All right, so let's continue on. Um, we are doing a series called Come and See. We're going through the book of First John. Um, so for those of you that aren't familiar with First John, there's this guy called John, and he wrote it. Crazy stuff. Um, I think... For me, there's a lot of familiarity with Jesus, right? We know who he is. We know where to find him in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, we get familiar with people like Peter. You know, we find out who he is and what he did, and we can follow his story quite clearly from when he was a disciple and the way that he became an apostle and started the new church. But we can follow a lot of these people's stories. But John is someone, for me, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but for me, I've, I've struggled to kind of find his story. You know, it was Peter that denied Jesus three times. It was Judas that betrayed Jesus. But we was John in the story. You know, what was John up to? What was he doing? And how did his moments with Jesus craft him into and shape him into the man that ended up writing this letter to us in his old age? And so I thought to start the night, I would expand on what uh, Rob shared with us last week with a few facts, and I'm sure that as the weeks go on and as other people share and preach, that more and more uh, bits of the puzzle are going to be laid out before us so we get a more complete image of who this guy John is. So is that all good? We start that way? Come on, there's only like 20 people here, like a bit of enthusiasm. Cool, this is where we're going. All right, so Peter, James, and John, these are like the three bros, were the only disciples to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. This is a real significant moment in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 9, they were the three disciples that got invited up onto the mountain of transfiguration to see Jesus in his glory with Elijah and Moses. Um, that was a very, very pinnacle part in the story in the Gospels. It was Peter, James, and John that were invited into the Garden of Gethsemane and fell asleep. It was Peter, James, and John that got growled for falling asleep. <laughs> it, was Peter, uh, it was John and Peter that got invited uh, or got told to go and set up the Last Supper. And that was a big thing. That was Passover. It was John that got to sit next to Jesus at the Last Supper. What else have I got here? After Jesus was arrested, it was John that didn't abandon him or deny him like Peter did, but followed him to the high priest and then eventually to the, uh, to the place where he was crucified. 
It was then John that consoled Mary, Jesus' mother, and offered to take her into his care. It was John that ended up taking a prominent place in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, and then in Acts chapter 15 in the Council of Jerusalem. John has been there this whole way, and now we find John at the end of his life sharing with us some of the things that he's learned, but also addressing some concerns that he has. You see, back in the day, they couldn't address things as quickly as we like to address them now. You know, if something happens, we can flick off an email and it probably can be sorted by the end of the day, you know. But so what John has done is he's lived his whole life. He's, he's walked with Jesus. He's been his disciple. He's been pioneering in the early church, lived out that, been a martyr of sorts. He didn't die, but he got boiled alive. Um, that didn't kill him. He kind of continued on. And then uh, now he's watched some things happen in the church that he's not a, uh, not a fan of. He really wants to address it. Sometime then passes again. He writes a letter to the church to sort it out. And so there's been an extended period of time. He's an old man, but we have this letter, First John, to sort it out. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into specifically what we're talking about. So, Lord God, thank you for being here with us tonight. Uh, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you would speak through me. Lord, that this wouldn't just be um, a, a young man rambling on about things he thinks, but, Lord, that this would be your Spirit indwelled and speaking to us all tonight. Um, so, God, have your way in my heart and have your way in the hearts of each person here, Lord, that um, your face would shine on us and our face would turn towards you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 18. So what's happened, from my understanding and the study that I've done, is that some people that were in the church from a young age began to say some untrue things about Jesus Christ. Now, that might happen to us in this day and age, and we might get upset about that, but I think the unique perspective that I would like you guys to grasp onto tonight is the fact that Jesus, I mean, John knew Jesus. So when people are saying untrue things about Jesus, they're saying untrue things about a friend. They're saying untrue things about a mentor, about a rabbi, about someone that he walked with and ate with and talked with. He didn't see Jesus um, or wasn't... Um, filled by the Holy Spirit in the way that we are today in the original time. But he um, knew this person as a friend. And I think that's an interesting perspective to grab onto because uh, when we read this, I think we can miss the punch of what's going on here. So at the start, he says this in verse 18, Antichrist, children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, for we know that it is the last hour. Now, firstly, I just want to jump in there, add a little note. When he's saying last hour, um, people like get real excited. They think that we're going to start talking about end times and all this kind of crazy stuff. What John is actually saying here is the Messiah has come. He's lived. He's died. He's risen from the dead, and he's ascended back into heaven. And now we're in this period where we wait for him to come back. That is the last hour. And so for them, the last hour turns out to have been... 2,000 years so far, and we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. But I don't want us to read so narrowly into this that we literally think in one hour in time. This is the last age. This is the last time. This is what John is saying. So children, it is the last hour. And as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, for we know that it is the last hour. 
They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belonged to us. So straight out the gate, John is addressing this issue in the church. He's warning and teaching and correcting the people that he was writing to, and ultimately us today, to watch out for people who are saying lies about the church, uh, lies about Jesus, sorry. Now, I think the interesting addition to this that we need to take note of is he says that these people didn't come from outside the church, which I think is really easy to have a guard up for, but they came from inside. They grew up in the church. They were people that ultimately should have known better, yet they came and then they left. And he says, because they left, they actually never belonged to us because belonging to a church community isn't about just being raised in a church, but about surrendering our lives to Jesus. So I think that's a really important um, element to address as we get into this because it helps us unpack the rest of the text that we're going to go into. So my first kind of point tonight as we jump into the rest of the text is this, that correct theology leads to correct love or correct theology leads to correct affection. Um, In 1 John Chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from the truth. He's really polarizing, light and dark, truth and lies. Who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son, has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. What he's saying is it matters about what we think about Jesus. You see, as Christians, we do not get to decide who Jesus is or what he does or what he thinks. And I think John had an extra uh, large grasp of this because he knew Jesus as a person. But let me give you an example of how I think this would flesh out. I don't know if you guys uh, know my wife, Bailey, but if I started describing her to you guys and I said, you know, something that I really love about Bailey is just her blonde hair. You know, like, man, when I come home and I see those blonde hairs on the couch and I look across the room and I see her blonde hair, man, I just, I fall in love. You know, when I look into those bright blue eyes, man, I'm just mesmerized by it. And some people down here are laughing a little bit. You know, I just something that really takes me back, you know, just really, oh my goodness, just makes me fall in love is her Irish heritage. And I just, you know, like just thinking about the, like, she just really suits the color green. And, you know, she's always got Guinness at home. No, she doesn't. But like, you know, like just her, her Irish heritage, I'm just all about it, man. It's just, I can't wait to have kids because our kids are going to have Irish, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you guys are going, man, this is like really nice. You've like really thought about your wife. You know, you really know these things about her. Until you guys meet her and realize that she has black hair and she's Maori and has brown eyes. And that all the descriptions that I just gave of her are completely false. You see, I think this is what John is addressing here is that we can make up our own idol of Jesus. We can craft him into something that we want him to be. And if we want to love Jesus correctly, uh, if we want to love Jesus correctly, then we need to know him correctly. I believe this is what John is teaching us in this passage, and he's going to go on to describe how we can know him in just a bit. 
Um, why I think that this is so important for us as Christians is because if we get a theology of Jesus wrong, if we misplace or make up a few things about Jesus Christ, in Colossians 1 it says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if we get a theology of Jesus incorrect, we're actually getting a theology of the Father incorrect because the two are connected, and that's ultimately what John is saying. Now, he's addressing a lie that is being told, and from a historical point of view, we can know what heresy, which just means like what untrue thing about Jesus or untrue thing about faith they were talking about by the heresies that existed at the time. But ultimately, in the rest of the book, John is going to get into what some of these lies are. But for now, we just know that there is some lies that are being said, and John's not stoked about it. And he's very polarizing about it. So correct theology leads to correct love, or correct theology leads to correct affection. I was talking with Bailey about this yesterday, and she said, Michael, another thought around this is the fact that if you get a theology of Jesus wrong, you actually get evangelism wrong. Because if I are telling people about Bailey, and I get them excited about the fact that she has blonde hair, blue eyes, and is Irish, and then they meet her, and that's not true, how much more compounding is that when we're talking about Jesus? If we don't understand who Jesus is, when we share the gospel and evangelize and go on mission and all these things, we're actually going to be doing that incorrectly. We're going to be inviting them to something that we've made up that's an idol, something that Jesus came and had to die for because it's sin. And so John's saying right out the gate, beware of these people that are talking about these things, but also watch out in your own heart for what's going on. All right, and then in the rest of the chapter, he has these two main words that he uses, and he used them a few times, this word anointing and this word called abide. And so I'm going to unpack these two words, and I'm going to talk about them a little bit at the end. That's what I hope to do. So there's this word anointing. How many of you guys have heard this word anointing before? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in Dutsudur, and uh, from a young age, I grew up in a quite a conservative brethren church and you know the word anointing does not get thrown around in those places very much um, but um, there was a Pentecostal church across the way and um, man this word anointing opposite you know got thrown around all the time everything was anointed the chairs were anointed this person was anointed you know that song was anointed everything was anointed and I think for us in the English language when we overuse a word or we use it incorrectly or out of context it loses its meaning and it actually becomes nothing but for us as studiers of the Bible John uses the word anointing and so it's time to rediscover what it means so in the context that John is talking about he's saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit we can know and discern truth that's what he's saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit we can in ourselves know and discern truth. Now there's some other definitions that we could go into, but in this passage in particular, that is what he's getting at. Um, he also, uh, elsewhere in scripture, it means that you are set apart for the purposes of God, which I'll get into uh, in just a second. But, so anointing, what was I going to say here? John, in verse 20, tells us this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know it, and 
you know that no lie comes from the truth. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As you, as for you, the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and the true and is true and not a lie, and just as he has taught you, abide in him. So this is word anointing. He's throwing it around a lot, but what does that actually mean for us today? So I gave us this definition before, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know and discern truth. Now, when I was prepping for this and wrestling a few things out, to me, it it didn't make too much sense because as he's saying, okay, so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to be a part of the church. You know, we don't need teachers. We don't need elders. We don't need mentors. We don't need friends speaking into our life because simply because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're sweet. We're done. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that when it comes to a theology of Jesus Christ, there are basic things that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know and lean on as truth. Now to get into some more rich theology or mentoring or working through life situations, man, the church has been set up in a beautiful way, arguably by Jesus, to help us in these areas. But essentially he's saying that we are without excuse, that these true things about Jesus, even though some people might be saying that they are lies or might be saying the opposite of what they are, in our heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can discern these things. I don't know how many of you guys were here this morning, but Rob shared a message out of 1 Corinthians 12, and he talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit. And something that I loved that he shared with us this morning is that this list of the gifts is incomplete. It's not a, few, it's not a full list. There's other places in the Bible where we can find out more things. And I would argue that in this passage, John is telling us another one that this anointing, this special gift that comes from the Holy Spirit so that, we can know and, so that we can know and discern truth comes from God for the building up of his church. So that's what this word anointing means in this passage. The second word that John jumps into is this word abide. And I wrote a slide, and I thought it was kind of funny, but it might just be me because it's not funny at all. Abide, a John word. I was doing some research, and uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, the word abide is used three times. In Mark, it's used twice. In Luke, it's used six. And in John, it's used 34 times. In First John alone, he uses it 18 times. This word is precious to John, and he wants us to understand something very special about his own relationship with Jesus and the way that we can know Jesus through this word abide. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not a word that we chuck around very often nowadays. I'm not often saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, abide with my friends. You know, I'm not going to abide, you know, or whatever. You guys get what I'm saying. Like, it's not, not a word we use. But still here, we need to learn what it is. And if we get it right, it's going to help us along in our faith. And if we get it wrong, it's going to lead us somewhere out of it. So I think that John really paints a picture for what he means by abide in John 15. Now, if you guys don't know what John 15 is about, it's also by John, and he just unleashes with this word abide. Honestly, he uses it just all the time. So I've got the passage here, but there's a few scriptures, but I'll just read it out. It's all good. This is John speaking. Um, Sorry, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it more, bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word, and now I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch can bear no fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, it's Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like branches and like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments and you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I have said these things so that you may so that your joy may be so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Abide, 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 abide. So what does that mean for us today? What does it look like for us today to abide? I think it plays out in a few ways in our life. Um, another definition for this word abide is to remain in, to stay consistent with, to walk alongside something or someone. And so for us, I think some key places where we can abide in our life is sticking with Scripture. God has blessed us with this book um, from Him that we believe was written um, through the power of His Holy Spirit uh, so that we can know Him accurately, so that we can hear His voice, so that we can be discerning of truth in our lives. The first way I think that we can abide with Jesus is, has a dis- is to have a discipline in our lives of reading Scripture often. You know, you might read some scripture and you think, man, I have no idea what that means. But you're also going to be reading scripture that stirs up your love for Jesus, that keeps you prompted and, um, I guess, focused on who the Holy Spirit is and how he's working in your life. I think this is going to affect you in a personal way as you grow to learn about yourself. When you understand what uh, ticks you off, when you understand where your patience runs thin, when you understand where you're prideful, when we abide in Jesus and we read his word, these things start to grow and start to change in us. I think another way for us to abide is stay connected to church, uh, to Christian community. Um, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Uh, when we stay connected to Christian community like this, like BBC, God abides with us and we abide with him. Uh, when we evangelize, when we step out in faith and share the gospel with those that are in need, that n- those that know, need to know the message of Jesus, we step out in active faith and we begin to abide with him. Abide, abide, abide. Verse 24, 1 John says this, And let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning, uh, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, and then you will, uh, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He has promised us: eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But this anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and does not lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have the confidence and not be put to shame before his coming. Abide, abide, abide. So I've talked tonight about the fact that there will be people that come from within us that want to point us the wrong way. These are the people that John calls the Antichrist. This is what was happening in the day, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God invites us 
to be discerning about these things. I've talked about the fact that when we know Jesus correctly for who he is and not who we make him up to be, we can love him correctly and we can evangelize about him correctly. I've talked about the fact that we have a special anointing from the Holy Spirit, a gift to us to help us know and discern truth. And I've talked about the fact that John comes home and tells us the way that this all ties together is we need to abide with Christ, that we abide and walk with Jesus. And so tonight, as I come to an end of this passage, and man, this is just one of the first steps as we dive into this book of 1 John, I wanted to come to our attention tonight. Um, Rob talked before about a prayer team. Um, This is an intimate enough group for us to, I think, be real with one another. Um, I want to encourage you to pray with me or pray with some leaders after this. I know there's been moments in my life recently where I haven't abided. I know there's been moments in my life where I haven't actively embraced the anointing that's on my life to know and discern truth. I know there's been moments in my life where it's it's easier to leave uh, God into my imagination or Jesus into my imagination than discipline myself to know him correctly. And so tonight, as we kind of close the service and as we begin to sing some more true things about him, And I want to close in prayer and and pray a blessing over you, but also invite you to come and share and confess where you might be struggling. Um, Tonight is a night to set things straight and get some things right about Jesus. And so there's plenty of pastors here. There's plenty of people that know the Lord Jesus and been walking with him for a long time to help us all in this journey. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And so I'm going to pray. If that's you, please don't let the stirring in uh, in you from the Holy Spirit just slip and leave. Um, But let's move forward together as the body of Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much um, that you don't hide yourself from us. Lord, that even though this world can be confusing and dark and, and sometimes empty, God, that you have revealed yourself clearly to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we can know and have confidence in the fact that now if we are saved and we are in you, that your spirit indwells in us. Lord, that we can know you accurately. So God, I pray that you'd stir something in our spirits. God, a deeper desire to know you, a deeper hunger to walk with you. God, a deeper um, realization of the truth of who you are. Lord, and just like John, we would know you as a friend rather than just someone at a distance. God, continue to work in us. Change us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.